a state congressional delegation expresses concerns about private equity in healthcare. Lawmakers consider the potential of short and long-term physician fee schedule reform. And the Senate passes a $95 billion supplemental appropriations measure. For the week of February 19th, 2024, from Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., this is Health on the Hill. Brought to you by Heart Health Strategies. I'm Matt Duckworth. The Indo-Pacific, the Red Sea, and around the world. Today, we make Vladimir Putin regret the day he questioned America's resolve. And we make clear to others, like China's President Xi, not to test our determination. And we send a clear bipartisan message of resolve to our allies. Kicking off this week's episode with news from Congress, where last week, the Senate passed a $95 billion bipartisan national security supplemental appropriations package, including $60 billion in aid for Ukraine, $14 billion in aid for Israel, and $10 billion in humanitarian assistance to the Gaza Strip. The package also includes the Fend Off Fentanyl Act, which would provide $1.2 billion to curb fentanyl trafficking and allow for the sanctioning of fentanyl cartels. House Speaker Mike Johnson has stated that he will not bring the bill for consideration before the House of Representatives. I think uh, in the short term, we're staring down another pay cut. And, you know, there's no way around that um, fact. And so I think, you know, just as... Um, you know, the saying, let's first do no harm. I think one of the things we are trying to impress upon and we're going to be working in the in the coming weeks to impress upon Congress is that at, you know, first step is to prevent this cut and and even think about giving us something that, re- re- that reflects. Lawmakers are going on the record regarding the chances of a Medicare physician reimbursement fix this year. A 3.37 percent reduction to Medicare physician payments went into effect on January 1st of 2024. Representatives Ami Barra, a Democrat from California, and Robin Kelly, a Democrat from Illinois, told an American Medical Association conference last week that their current priority is at least partial reversal of the cut that took place at the beginning of the year. At the same event, Representative Larry Bouchon, a Republican from Indiana, stated that a doctor pay fix could be included in a government funding package next month. While there's bipartisan agreement that broader reforms to the Medicare physician fee schedule are necessary, such work is not likely until 2025, given the slowdown in legislative activity during presidential election years. This effort will also be complicated by the retirement from Congress of several physician lawmakers and other champions of Medicare physician payment reform. In related news, Senators Catherine Cortez Masto, a Democrat from Nevada, Marsha Blackburn, Republican from Tennessee, John Thune, a Republican from South Dakota, John Barrasso, a Republican from Wyoming, Debbie Stabenow, a Democrat from Michigan, and Mark Warner, a Democrat from Virginia, recently announced the formation of a working group to investigate and propose long-term reforms to the Medicare physician fee schedule and make necessary updates to the Medicare Access and CHIP Reauthorization Act, or MACRA. The working group plans to reach out to stakeholders in the coming weeks to seek feedback, and to begin developing policies that will address Medicare physician payment in the long term. 
last week, Senators Dick Durbin, a Democrat from Illinois, and Mike Braun, a Republican from Indiana, sent a letter to the Food and Drug Administration calling on Commissioner Robert Califf to take action to address the, quote, alarming proliferation of dangerous and misleading content promoting prescription drugs. The lawmakers specifically request that the FDA modernize its draft guidance on prescription drug promotion, which hasn't been updated since 2014, to clarify that platforms like Instagram, Snapchat, X, and TikTok are subject to FDA regulation and requirements. They highlight the social media promotion of prescription drugs by telehealth companies as a perceived gap in the FDA's jurisdiction. Durbin and Braun also argue that prescription drug promotion by social media influencers warrants particular attention. The letter reads, quote, The threats to children from misleading and unsubstantiated advertisements necessitates action. It goes on to say, You have called health misinformation and disinformation a leading cause of death in the United States. And it is time the FDA addresses this challenge. Unquote. Republicans on the House Energy and Commerce Committee are calling for an investigation into how well the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Department of Agriculture manage the resale of laboratory equipment and protective gear. The letter reads, quote, The availability of both biological laboratory equipment and protective clothing on the commercial market provides access to materials needed to conduct legitimate scientific research, but also increases the chances this equipment could be used for malicious purposes, such as biological terrorism or warfare. The letter, co-authored by Committee Chair Kathy McMorris-Rogers, a Republican from Washington, Health Subcommittee Chair Brett Guthrie, a Republican from Kentucky, and Oversight Subcommittee Chair Morgan Griffith, a Republican from Virginia, requests that the Government Accountability Office examine the extent to which these items are resold or exported, and the controls in place to limit the risk they are used to create biological weapons, both within and outside the United States. Education, labor, and pensions will come to order. Um, today we are going to be discussing one of the major health crises in America, uh, and that is the diabetes epidemic that is having a huge impact on our country and an issue. That was the voice of Senator Bernie Sanders, an independent from Vermont who caucuses with the Democrats and chairs the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee. Sanders sent a letter last week to the FDA urging Commissioner Califf to require the food and beverage industry to place strong warning labels on products high in sugar, salt, and saturated fats. Sanders points out the direct relationship between the nation's diabetes epidemic and obesity crisis and argues that the FDA, quote, can and must do more to ensure that Americans, especially children, teens, and their parents, understand the health risks associated with the consumption of these unhealthy and ultra-processed foods, unquote. Sanders' letter notes his plans for the Help Committee to hold a hearing in the near future to consider what the FDA can do to ensure that the food and beverages Americans consume are not harming them. Collection is an ideal business for private equity because their whole business model rests on squeezing companies and people dry. The standard playbook is to buy up a company by loading it up with debt, squeeze the company to extract profits, then take the money and run. 
That was the voice of Senator Elizabeth Warren, a senator from the Massachusetts Congressional Delegation, which last week wrote to Severus Capital Management, expressing concerns about the private equity firm's role in the finances of Stewart Healthcare-owned hospitals across the state. The letter reads, quote, We have long been concerned about the nefarious role of private equity in our economy. Ownership by private equity investors increases health care costs and reduces quality of care, and private equity firms have played a role in the collapse of hospitals around the country, hurting communities and the health care workers and other staff that serve them. The letter goes on to say, The dire threat of Stewart's collapse appears to be a textbook example of the grave risks posed by a private equity takeover of the healthcare system. Consolidated purchasing under the group purchasing organizations under the GPOs is just one factor. I think it's a symptom of the disease. I don't think it's the cause of the disease. Um, these markets have consolidated when it comes to the production of these drugs because these drugs are produced at very low Last week, the Department of Health and Human Services and the Federal Trade Commission issued a request for information on generic drug shortages and the impact of group purchasing organizations, or GPOs, and drug wholesalers on access to generic pharmaceuticals. The agencies are requesting public input on whether and to what extent manufacturers, GPOs, and drug wholesalers are complying with their legal obligations under Section 3 of the Clayton Act and the Robinson-Patman Act, whether and to what extent the available protections for GPOs under the federal anti-kickback statute affect market concentration and contracting practices by GPOs, as well as drug shortages whether and to what extent market concentration among GPOs and drug wholesalers has impacted smaller healthcare providers and rural hospitals, whether and to what extent concentration among GPOs and drug wholesalers has disincentivized suppliers from competing in generic drug markets, and the impact of the prevailing GPO compensation model, which may rely on rebates, chargebacks, and administrative fees for manufacturers and suppliers in exchange for favorable treatment, on generic manufacturers and other suppliers. The request for information is part of the administration's effort to promote competition in pharmaceutical markets and ensure access to high-quality, affordable care. This latest announcement notes another forthcoming joint request for information from the FTC, HHS, and the Department of Justice, seeking input on how private equity and other corporations' control of health care is impacting Americans. Last week, the Department of Health and Human Services Office of the Inspector General released a report finding that healthcare providers largely complied with Medicare requirements when billing for evaluation and management services provided via telehealth during the first nine months of the COVID-19 pandemic. The agency found that for 105 of the 110 sampled E&M services provided via telehealth, providers complied with Medicare requirements. The Medicare program paid $446 for the five sampled E&M services for which providers did not document or insufficiently documented the services. Investigators determined that unallowable payments identified resulted primarily from clerical errors or the inability to access records. Winding down today where the Food and Drug Administration has approved IOVANCE Biotherapeutics Amtagvi to treat advanced melanoma that either cannot be removed from the body 
or has spread throughout the body and was previously treated with other therapies. It's the first cell therapy to be approved for the treatment of solid tumors. Iovance is currently working to complete a confirmatory trial to ensure MTAGV has a clinical benefit to cancer patients. In his statement, Rosendale said, quote, By my calculations, with Trump endorsing my opponent and the lack of resources, the hill was just too steep. I spoke with Senator Daines earlier this week, and we both agree that this is the best path forward for Republicans to regain the majority in the U.S. Final Senate. news today, where Representative Matt Rosendale, a Republican from Montana, has dropped his bid to unseat Senator John Tester, a Democrat from Montana, less than a week after launching his campaign for the Senate. Rosendale has not yet decided whether he'll run for re-election to the House of Representatives. The filing deadline for Montana is March 11th. Representative Mark Green, a Republican from Tennessee, has announced his decision to retire at the end of the year. Green was first elected to Congress in 2018 and currently serves as the chair of the House Homeland Security Committee. In related election news, Representative Tom Swasey, a Democrat from New York, defeated Republican candidate Maisie Pillip to succeed ousted Republican George Santos in the House of Representatives. His victory flips the state's third congressional district back to Democrats and further narrows the GOP's slim majority in the House. And finally, Representative James Clyburn, a Democrat from South Carolina, has stepped down from his role as assistant Democratic leader, a position he's held for just over a year. Clyburn previously served as the House Majority Whip. His decision follows similar moves by former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and former Majority Leader Steny Hoyer to step down from their respective leadership roles after the 2022 election. Representative Joe Naguz, a Democrat from Colorado who currently serves as the chair of the Democratic Policy and Communications Committee, plans to run for assistant leader, according to two Democratic leadership aides. A running list of members of Congress who are retiring or seeking other office can be found in our weekly written policy briefing on the news page of our website at www.hhs.com. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of Health on the Hill, brought to you by Heart Health Strategies. For more information on this week's healthcare happenings in the administration and on Capitol Hill, you can visit our website at hhs.com and click on the news section at the top of the page. You can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and SoundCloud. Did we miss a story you wanted to hear this week? If so, email me at mduckworth at hhs.com, and we may include it in our next episode. Have a great week, and stay healthy. Stay healthy.